everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have mentioned, I'm Hub. Hi! How's it going? I hope you're enjoying my particular brand of forced morning cheeriness this morning. It's being helped along a bit by entirely too much coffee. It's been kind of a stressful week for me. There's been some stuff going on. Minor. It'll all be fine. But uh, I have been coping by drinking entirely too much coffee. So, in the interest of forestalling the somewhat inevitable panic attack that too much coffee brings on in me, I have decided to stop drinking fully caffeinated coffee. Now I don't want to do decaf because uh, I like caffeine and I like being awake. So I have been drinking rather a lot of what I call baby minotaur coffee. I call it baby minotaur coffee because it's half-calf and also because I am a freaking dork. Thank you. That's all I got right now. So, without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Bridger Bishop, and it is very specifically appropriate for this episode. Defenders 32 has the best villainess. Hub will tell you all about her in a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Bridger. Defenders number 32. February 1976. Musical Minds. Technically, it's musical chairs, but with chairs crossed out and minds written in next to it, which is cute. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Son of Satan. Nighthawk's Brain, and Jack Norris. Previously in The Defenders. Billionaire duel bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, was flying around on his jetpack when an unprovoked psychic salt caused him to hallucinate about the bad times. Consequently, the adult aviator flew headfirst into a tree. Ouch. When the whacked-out winged warrior awoke, he found that he had been birdnapped by a cadre of crazily craniumed criminals who called themselves the Headmen. Each of the deviantly domed do-batters had an equally strange skull situation. Dr. Jerry Morgan, or Dr. Melty Face, had accidentally shrunk all the bones in his face, and now his face looked melty. Dr. Arthur Nagin, or Dr. Gorilla Body, had pissed off some gorillas, so they cut off his head and jammed it on a gorilla body. And finally, Chandra the Mystic was bald. And he liked to wear a turban sometimes. Freaky deaky. These abnormally noggined no-goodniks informed Nighthawk of their nefarious plan. They intended to scoop out his brain and jam Chandu's brain into his body. Oh no! How was Kyle going to escape this cerebrum-swapping situation? Simple. He wasn't. Within hours of their initial encounter, Chandu was sporting a fancy new Kyle body, and Kyle's brain had been dumped unceremoniously into a punch bowl. Using his recently acquired Nighthawk form, Chandu infiltrated the Defender's Sanctum Sanctimonious. Once inside, the Incognito Enchanter attempted to use a spell to sorcerously stupefy our titular non-team with the intention that he would return with his problematically painted pals for some more brain surgeries. But 
When he attempted to ensorcel our heroes, Chandu found out the hard way that they don't call Stephen Strange the Sorcerer Supreme because he's the magician who comes with the most pizza toppings. Steve Strange sorcerously smacked the shit out of the Kyle-clad Crumbum, nearly killing the hero inhabiting Hedge Wizard. Hooray! The defenders attempted a Scooby-Doo-esque unmasking of their assailant and were shocked to find that under his Nighthawk mask, the infiltrating interloper did appear to be the real McCoy, which is to say, the real Richmond. Gadzooks! What plans do the headmen have for Kyle's currently disembodied brain? Will we learn anything from Nighthawk's past that makes the young thrill-seeking billionaire easy to identify with? And when the headmen introduce their newest member, will they have an even stranger cranial issue than baldness coupled with occasional turban use? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so mostly just letting it sit in a bowl, although Dr. Nagin does seem pretty keen on mashing it up with his gorilla fists. Well, we find out that when he was younger, he got drunk and killed a teenage girl in a car accident, so... If you're Vince Neal or the ghost of Ted Kennedy, then maybe? And definitely. Although, they are also technically bald. Steve wonders if Kyle's magical powers and newfound interest in attacking his teammates might be the result of demonic possession. Hmm, that's actually a pretty decent guess. It would seem to check off most of the boxes related to Nighthawk slash Chandu's recent behavior. Steve calls his good buddy Damon Hellstrom, a.k.a. the Son of Satan, over for a consultation. The devil-dadded demonologist takes a look at the unconscious Kyle-bodied creep, and is like, Nope, no demons here. I'm headed back to St. Louis. Fair enough. Bye, Damon. Once his problematically parented peer has departed, Steve casts a let's-see-who-you-really-are spell that forces the Kyle-bodied creep to reveal his true identity. Really? Seems like if you had that spell the whole time, maybe you would have cast it before you flew in the consultant from the darkest depths of Missouri. But hey, you do you. Steve launches into some mystical mumbo-jumbo, and a few seconds later, the furious follicle-free visage of Chandu the Mystic is briefly superimposed over Kyle's face. When he sees Chandu's face, Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body the sorcerously created persona Valkyrie is currently inhabiting, is shocked he actually recognizes Chandu. What? Jack Norris may possess some relevant and potentially helpful information? Unprecedented. A few issues ago, Jack made the decision to stop being such a creepy asshole and acknowledge the fact that Valkyrie was her own person and that while she may inhabit Barbara Norris's body, she did not share Barbara's personality or any of her memories. It's not going great. When Jack recognizes Chandu, he's like, Look, Val, I know you aren't Barbara, but surely you remember the time when me and Barbara went to the state fair and saw that shitty-ass magician named Chandu? You gotta remember that! Damn it, Jack. Refusing to accept that Val's total lack of shared memories with his ex-wife does not have an exemption for regional carnivals where novelty fried foods are served, the resolution-reneging reprobate grabs Val's shoulder and starts shaking her, basically screeching, Remember! in her face. What a dipshit. Steve decides he's heard enough from Jack and is like, Yes, yes, Chandu the Mystic, I recognize him too, so your potentially having useful information is now a moot point, and you're back to being a useless asshole who is yelling at my friend. Please shut up. Also, Chandu's real name is Harvey Schlemmerman, so there's that. 
Then Steve decides to demonstrate that the Hulk isn't the only Defender capable of making enormous leaps, and declares, Since the former Mr. Schlemmerman isn't possessing Kyle demonically, I bet this whole thing is the result of a surgical brain transplant. Obviously. But that does leave us with the question, just where is Kyle's brain? Why, Steve, it's in a basement in the suburban town of Westbury, Connecticut. Obviously. I'm surprised you couldn't guess that as well. In the headman's secret subterranean suburban lair in the aforementioned Westbury, Connecticut, Dr. Gorilla Body is staring at Kyle's brain as it sits defenseless in a bowl and muttering to himself, Jeez, do I want to smush that stupid brain with my big old gorilla hands? He starts to reach for the brain bowl, but Dr. Multiface overheard his smoosh-centric soliloquy and is like, Don't smush that brain with your big old gorilla hands. I might want to do science on it. Also, I'm probably not quite as evil as you are. Dr. Gorilla Body responds peevishly, Fine, Jerry. You never let me squish any brains. Spoil sport. Oh, and also, here's the new member of our team that I recruited without telling you. Her name is Ruby. And with that, Ruby opens the door from an adjacent room where I guess she's been waiting for her cue. She's wearing what appears to be a purple long-sleeved one-piece bathing suit with a Dracula collar and a plunging neckline which highlights an impressive décolletage. She completes the outfit with some red thigh-high boots and long gloves. It is some stunning supervillainous attire. Oh yeah, one more thing about Ruby's appearance. Her head appears to be a shiny red bowling ball. So, there's that. Hey, now that they have a female member, this seems like as good a time as any to point out that the Headmasters would be a much better name for a team. Not only is it more gender-inclusive, but it sounds more intimidating and is a play on a more common term. Oh well. Ruby struts in and grabs Dr. Multiface by his melty face. After making contact with Jerry's droopy dome, Ruby's own head changes from a red bowling ball into a massive pink silly putty before finally rearranging itself to mirror Dr. Meltyface's unique, or perhaps more accurately recently unique, visage. She says hello. Jerry is perhaps understandably unsettled to see his semi-solid semblance perched atop a sexy lady body despite the fact that she is standing right there and totally capable of providing her own exposition dr gorilla body decides to fill both his flustered colleague and by proxy us readers in on ruby's backstory turns out ruby was a brilliant research scientist who decided to replace her head with an organic computer wait isn't everybody's head an organic computer well maybe but Ruby's is made of malleable plastics and comic book nonsense and can turn into whatever she wants it to, no matter the size, color, or complicated mechanical nature of the desired new noggin. Impressive. That is some super speed slash magnetism level weapons grade comic book nonsense right there. Well done. Dr. Meltyface is still freaked out and calls Ruby a monstrosity. Not cool, Jerry. First of all, that is just plain rude. And B... It is more than a little hypocritical coming from a dude who looks like somebody strapped glasses onto Pizza the Hut. Ruby responds by growing a bunch of tentacles out of her head and using them to encircle a startled Dr. Meltyface. Whether the bad doctor is terrified or elated by this development is difficult to say. Jerry has a tough face to read, and I haven't seen the dude's browser history. Back in the Sanctum Sanctimonious, Steve uses some of his magic to triangulate the location of Kyle's missing brain. Once he has the location entered into his mystical map quest, Steve turns back to Jack Norris and tells the matrimonially-minded meathead that he will need Jack's assistance for his cunning plan. 
Jack agrees. The details of the plan are revealed off-panel, but I really hope that Steve turns to Jack and says, And your role is vital to the success of our mission, Mr. Norris, though it may strain your abilities to their very limits. If you are up to the task, I will need you to shut the fuck up. High five, Val. High five, the Hulk. Sadly, as I said, this sick burn happens off-panel. When we next see the dynamic defenders, they are flying off on their cerebellum scavenger hunt and are accompanied by someone wearing Nighthawk's costume who is having difficulty operating the jetpack. Hmm, who could that be? Okay, I'm playing it off like it's totally obvious that it's Jack wearing the Nighthawk suit, but real talk, as will be clear later on in the podcast, neither Corey or I picked up on that. Honestly, didn't occur to me until a couple of days later when I was writing the synopsis here. Embarrassing. Anyway, want to know how actual Nighthawk is keeping his brain occupied during his bout of bodilessness? Well, it turns out that despite his lack of access to eyeballs, the affluent avian aficionado is metaphorically staring off into the middle distance. That's right, Kyle is about to reminisce about the bad old days of his secret origin. Only... Due to his current condition, Kyle is a bit disoriented, and his memories are all mixed up in metaphor and dream logic. It's pretty cool looking. Here's the Cliff's Notes version. Kyle's folks were super duper rich. His mom died when he was little, and that made him pretty sad. His dad couldn't be bothered to raise him, so he sent him off to a fancy boarding school. The other kids made fun of Kyle, so he got into a bunch of fights. In addition to the fighting, Kyle was kind of a smartass, and the school's principal hated him and resented the fact that he couldn't kick Kyle out on account of he sorta had to suck up to Kyle's rich-ass dad. Towards the end of his high school years, Kyle sassed the principal real good and the headmaster slapped him. See how headmaster just rolls off the tongue and makes the character sound like a natural antagonist? Hmm. Anyway, Kyle responded by punching the shit out of the headmaster. Soon after his high school graduation, Kyle's daddy bought his son's enrollment into a prestigious college. Kyle had a fancy car and started dating a nice girl named Mindy. In an attempt to impress Mindy, Kyle decided to actually go to classes and try to learn something. Only problem was, after years of fucking off and not paying attention to his studies, the affluent adolescent was totally unprepared and unable to comprehend collegiate coursework. Frustrated, Kyle got all drunk and went for a drive with Mindy. He crashed his car into a river. Kyle survived. Mindy didn't. After the accident, Kyle was expelled from school and drafted into the army. Feeling guilty for Mindy's death, Kyle welcomed the draft and subconsciously hoped that he would die in the Vietnam War. But the army doctors detected a heart murmur in the despondent dilettante and decided that the army didn't want him. And speaking of people who didn't seem to want Kyle, shortly after his son's rejection from the army, Kyle's dad died in a plane crash. A directionless and newly orphaned Kyle was left in charge of Richmond Enterprises. He turned over the management of his inherited business to his father's unscrupulous right-hand man, Pennysworth, and started splitting his time between thrill-seeking and amateur chemistry. Of course. He soon stumbled across an ancient alchemical formula that granted him the fantastical power of the strength of two strong men, but only at nighttime. Armed with this remarkable ability, Kyle embarked on a life of super-adventure, first as an asshole burglar, then as an asshole superhero, alongside his non-teammates, the Defenders. Which brings us more or less up to the present, where Kyle is, a brain in a bowl, whose inner self stands confused at a metaphorical, metaphysical crossroads, lacking both the knowledge and the physical ability to take control of his life. Bummer. Meanwhile, Kyle's titular non-teammates arrive in Westbury, Connecticut at the headmen's secret suburban lair. The Hulk remarks that he has been here before, 
which he has a few issues ago when he smashed the house of an overprotective dad who tried to stop the Hulk from talking to his daughter. Steve cuts him off dismissively, saying, Silly the Hulk, you can't possibly have been here before, because I haven't been here before and nobody does things that I haven't done. Now, let's all stand here unsuspectingly as I ring the doorbell of this house that I have used my magic to determine belongs to dangerous supervillains who like to do brain transplants on superheroes. Okay? Above the objections of Valkyrie, Steve rings the bell. The door is answered by a glowing, seemingly angelic presence. Whoever is wearing the Nighthawk costume seems suspicious, but before he has much of a chance to voice those suspicions, the angel's head explodes, and all four defenders are rendered unconscious. The shards of the bomb reassemble themselves into a familiar-looking red bowling ball. Dr. Gorilla Body explains that the bomb Rudy turned her head into contains anti-gamma radiation that was capable of KOing even the Hulk. So, if Steve's cunning plan was to get the whole team captured by nightmarishly noggined ne'er-do-well brain burglars, then mission accomplished. To be continued. Hey, I bet if Monsieur Mala, the murderous superintelligent ape with a French accent from the Teen Titans comics, heard Dr. Gorilla Body saying that he wanted to smush a disembodied brain, he'd probably mishear and be all like, Zutalor, I have wanted to use my gorilla body to smooch the brain as well. That'd be cute. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm swell. How are you? I'm I'm spiffy. Well, hot dang. Hot dog. <laughs> hot diggity dog. Oh, boy. We're full of 1950s slang today. For some reason. Yeah. What'd you think of this issue? I hate Nighthawk so much. Yeah, he's a jerk. I liked this story a lot. Like, I thought it was really well done and I really enjoyed reading it. It certainly didn't make me like Nighthawk any better, but it made sense. I believe the intention, though, was to make him a more sympathetic character. By saying, like, oh, his dad was a jerk, and he had to watch his mom die, and he was just too rich, and it was hard for him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he had a heart murmur, so he didn't have to go to Vietnam. Yeah. And he had to feel so guilty about killing his girlfriend on accident by driving drunk. Yeah, and then never thinking about her again afterwards. Until he disfigured, or until, well, he didn't disfigure No, he didn't have Trish. anything to do with Trish's thing, and, and it is something that he's like, then she got blown up in my car. And I think initially when that had happened, he had thought that it was an attack against him that she was caught up in. And I think his brain kind of doesn't know how to deal with the fact that, in fact, it was an attack against her that he was an ancillary character in. Impossible. What? Me not be the protagonist of a story? I still like to think of it as his fault, though. It just fits better with his narrative. <laughs> you and Kyle both on that one. Yeah, I'm ashamed to admit it. <laughs> well... Yeah, let's dive into this issue. There's a lot to talk about. Sure. So, I feel like we've started a few of our episodes this way lately, but Jack fucking Norris. Oh my god. He doesn't get it. No, he just keeps Jack Norrising. So, in this issue, he is basically taking the stance, Okay, Valkyrie. I can accept that you're not Barbara anymore, and you don't have any of her memories. But you must remember this thing! It was so crazy! What if I shake your shoulders some? Like your head's some kind of a magic eight ball? She's gonna kill him. One would think so. 
Like, eventually, I mean, because he's not going to change. He's just going to keep doing that. And one day she's going to be like, I've warned you before about the touching and the shaking. And now, yeah, I I have set a clear boundary that I'm going to stab you with my sword. If, if you don't stop doing this, mm-hmm. you didn't stop doing this. I'm sorry this is out of my hands. <sighs> I look forward to that issue. <laughs> I do, too. That's a horrible thing to say. But yeah, I'm he's a real dipshit. about this guy. Incidentally. Did you read the letters column in this issue? I did not do that. There's did Jack a... Norris write a letter? No, but both letters were about Jack Norris, and both letters were people saying, yeah, I don't know about this Jack Norris guy. The better of the two letters was, perhaps unsurprisingly, by Joe Duffy, who has we have read in the letter column before. Mm-hmm. She was a college student at the time that this issue came out, and very soon after this issue, she started working for Marvel. I believe she started off as an editor and then became a writer. And I really like the way she writes stuff. But she nailed it on the Jack Norris issue on a couple of fronts. She criticizes Gerber for inserting Jack Norris as an everyman point of view character on a couple of grounds. One of them is that he had a similar thing that he used a character as a stand-in kind of for himself or a way for him to express his thoughts in the Man-Thing comics. There's a character named... Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every time. I know. I know. Giant-sized Man-Thing. <laughs> just get it out of your system. Oh, no Swamp Thing. Well, I mean, he it is a Swamp, he swamp Thing. thing. <laughs> I like Swamp Thing better. But part of Man-Thing's thing is that Man-Thing can't talk. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense to have a character in that be a mouthpiece that you get to bounce things off of. In the Defenders comics, all of the Defenders can talk. You can make them have their own thoughts. You don't need to insert this kind of a point of view character. The second point, and perhaps the more salient point that uh, Joe Duffy brings up, is that we don't want to identify with Jack Norris because he's an asshole. No shit, yeah. Yeah, like... You've introduced this character to be a proxy for the audience so that like, oh, he's just a normal person that's surrounded by these superheroes and trying to make sense of them. When there's a character like that, you as a reader want to identify with them, but everything about Jack Norris is something that we don't want to identify with. And I loved that she brought that up. It was really just like, good job, Joe Duffy. Mm -hmm. You fucking nailed it. Jack Norris is an asshole. I can, to an extent, sympathize with the conundrum that a writer finds themselves in when they have a character like Jack Norris that is sort of his defining thing is that he wants to establish this relationship with Val. And their previous relationship is somewhat complicated in that he was married to the host body and he's trying to accept it but having difficulty doing it. It's difficult to show progress like that to show that he is making progress other than just saying he's making progress and he's getting better in a monthly magazine because you keep having to somewhat reset the premise of his problem. But it's so goddamn frustrating. Tired, man. Yeah, I'm fucking over it. Tired of your shit, Norris? Yeah. Especially, I think, after reading the New Teen Titans one that we did last week where we see a character who, in my mind, is very similar to Jack Norris go on basically a shooting spree. And you see, like, yeah, this is where this is headed with this Jack Norris guy. Stop it. Why Nip it that, in the bud. Why, why doesn't Strange just fucking get in there and do his thing and be yeah. like, you know what, Jack? Here's Vermont country fair, uh, county fair out of your brain. 
Yeah, it everything seems from like... there up. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I I really hate that phrase, but it is absolutely what something that Steve Strange would say. We he saw probably co- coined that actually. Yeah, we saw a couple issues ago that he, he trying to like use vernacular and doing it badly. In my mind, it's today Steve Strange is constantly saying, "Sorry, not sorry." Hmm. I read that on the internet. <laughs> One of my favorite Norris Strange interactions. I don't know if it was intentionally drawn to be like Strange was so pained by being around Norris that he had to grab his temples and say, "No shouting, please." <laughs> but like that was the reaction that I was having and I was like, "Oh." All right. Yeah. I find myself really strongly aligned with Steve on this one. That's weird. But although the other thing that is weird is that Steve is at one point in the issue, Jack will need your aid on this. Yeah, why? We don't know what he has Jack do. There are a couple of things that come to mind. Because he says that just before they leave on their mission to go to the suburbs and knock on the headsman's door. Connecticut center of evil. (laughs) In so many ways. I enjoyed Mystic Seaport as a child. Hmm. I will say that. Yeah. And Mystic Pizza as a young adult. (laughs) Charming. Charming. Charming film. Charming, Charming. piece of storytelling. Yes. But w- when they leave for Connecticut, Stephen Strange says, I have a plan of sorts, but I shall require aid. Mr. Norris, are you willing? So the two things that it occurs to me that he might be needing Jack's assistance with are either it's just a make work project where he's like, I'm tired of Jack. I need to find something for him to do or he's going to try to tag along with us again. Um... Jack, I need you to guard this mystical, um, ladle. Just go and stand in the corner, make sure nobody gets near it. It's a very important mission, Jack. So that's one thing that he might need Jack to do. Okay. The other thing, and I think probably the more likely thing that he has Jack doing, is, now Jack, I want you to look over this mystical brazier. If these flame ghosts even look like they might start fucking soon, you call me right away. <laughs> I do not want to miss this shit. <laughs> I think that's more likely. Yeah, I, I think that's probably what he what he's having Jack do. We'll find out in subsequent issues, I guess. And I was so excited when I opened the issue and I was like, Son of Satan, that's awesome. I'm stoked to see what he's up to. Dude really just stopped by for a cup of coffee, huh? Well, he was summoned. Yeah, I know, but I mean, like, he he was just there for, like, a minute. He, yeah. He just, well, like, popped in and was like, yeah, this is outside of my wheel well. So, back to you, Steve. Mm-hmm. I'm heading back to St. Louis. That's a, yeah, that seems <laughs> The like... nexus of evil. <laughs> yeah, no, he came, he did his thing, and was like, okay, exorcism, uh, not possessed. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Gotta go. All right, see ya. Gonna go get some St. Louis ribs. Oh, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. I'm, I miss eating red meat. Ribs especially, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so Son of Satan's just there for a second, and then, then he, he takes off, which I kind of appreciate, just like, I'm a specialist. This thing that you're having me do is outside of my specialty, and I'm busy. Wish I could help, but I'm off. Goodbye. Ta-ta. And that's kind of it for most of the defenders in this issue, until the, the very end. Because we are intercut with their story with the tale of the Headmen. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ruby. Man. Yeah, we are introduced to the character Ruby. 
I wish she said a little bit more. I thought she couldn't talk at first because she doesn't speak until after she morphs her head into Jerry Melty Face's weird head, which on a sexy lady body, probably, which was very disconcerting. Yeah, probably one of the most weird panels <laughs> that I recall reading in these books to date. So, do you think she was just like hiding in a closet for a while? Like, Jerry didn't know that she was there. Like, when she makes her big entrance, was she just waiting in the other room for hours just to have a dramatic flare entrance? They live in the suburban house. I didn't really think it through to that degree, but now that you're asking, I suppose what happened is Negan called her and was like, hey, like, can you come over and meet Jerry today? Like, round three. You're definitely in the team. Yeah, so just come on in. And then, you know like show up at three and then she just came in did you think she was waiting for some kind of a code word or something or like as soon as you hear me say that i just want to mash up a brain in a bowl with my big old gorilla fists that is that's when you enter the room yeah no that's why i think it wasn't staged because he was just like come on over and meet jerry and then he's like, oh, I'm going to jiggle this. <laughs> oh, man, I just want to I just want to grab that, that brain in a bowl and just like just like mash it with my gorilla fist. Yeah. And Jerry's like, no, I need that for science and shit. And that's when Do you think that up. it seems like that the, he needs it for science was an excuse that Jerry was making. But it was unclear exactly what his real objection to Dr. Gorilla Body mashing the brain in a bowl was. Oh, I no, I think it, he... You think a, it was a legit, like, no, I want to do science to that brain later. Yeah, I think he wanted to, like, put it in a dog or something and just be like, can the dog talk after I do this? Or, <laughs> like, I don't know, he had some something That's cooking. Good question. I guess it's tough to tell what it looks like he's doing because he's got a melty face. But the way he stares, it's, I, no, it's just, I, I need that brain for my experiments. Mm. Like, do you think that's just his manner of speech? Like, that he's just kind of a nebbishy dude, so he talks that way. And it's like, you're certain you're not worried, say, that he'll never return? It's like, well, so what if I am? Suppose Nighthawk's friends find out the truth. I feel like they're trying to portray Dr. Melty Face in a more sympathetic light, as opposed to Dr. Gorilla Body. Like, he feels bad, he wants to put Kyle's brain back in Kyle's body. Something, or at least not just, like, that's why let a gorilla fist it. mash in. <laughs> And that's why he left it on the counter in a mixing bowl. Because yeah. that's what you do when you want to put somebody's brain back into their body. Or do science on it. Yeah. Like, either way, man, we've got fucking bell jars. Why not put it in one of those? Yeah. Or, yeah. Put that... a cloche over it, you know? A cloche, that's yeah. the thing. That way you get to have, like, a fun reveal. Either way, you don't just leave a brain in a bowl exposed to the elements. On a countertop. Yeah. Next to a gorilla-bodied brain-squishing scientist. Yeah. In... In Connecticut, in Connecticut, of all places. Uh, bad call. Yeah, what is he going to do? Bring it to a Hartford Whalers game? Um, probably not. What are the... What are that was the uh, hockey team. The, hockey the, team. The now defunct hockey team. Mm. I believe it was the only major league sport franchise that was in Connecticut. Mm. They had an amazing logo. I'll show you pictures of it later. It's really okay. good. But yeah, it, it's a weird dichotomy that gets set up where they, I think, are trying to make... Dr. Melty Face seem less evil, but also way ruder. He's kind of a dick to Ruby. He, like, pretty much just calls her an abomination. He's like, yeah, we've got weird heads and stuff, but at least our heads aren't an abomination of science. Like, hey, she's right there. Seemed like a kind of a Luddite comment coming from Mr. Science, because basically he said, 
organic computers, that's an abomination. Yeah. I think maybe, honestly, it seemed almost like it was just like, a female scientist, that's an abomination. A female scientist with my face on her sexy body, I feel so weird. Okay, I get that one, kind of. Uh, man, uh, yeah. I was trying to figure out what exactly was happening when, because her head looks like a bowling ball, or like one right. of those old-timey yard ornaments. What are those? Those, like, uh, it's a sphere that's kind of mirrored, like glass, and it sits on a pole in somebody's front yard. It does? Like a pedestal. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, that's what her head looks like. Was there a lot of weird laser security in Barrington when you were growing up? <laughs> no, no, no. My neighbors had one of these things. It, like, it looks, the bottom looks like a bird feeder pedestal. Okay. And then the top, it looks like a bowling ball, but the bowling ball is made out of, like, a colorful mirrored glass thing. And it I, sits I'm in your completely yard. unfamiliar with these. Oh, it might have just been the thing that this one family had. Anyway, her head looks like that, like a, like yeah. a shiny bowling ball. Right. But, and then she touches Jerry's face, and then her head looks like a pink blobby like jerry protoplasmic yeah. thing before it turns oh into right jerry's right face. right it turns into silly putty first yeah and so in that panel i thought to myself did she just like take off a helmet and that's what her face looks like and that's why she's one of the headmen yeah because she has a weird silly putty head it is a very strange and I, we see later her head can explode and then reassemble itself and go back on her body and make octopus legs or arms yeah or tentacles i guess they call them it's very, very confusing. But as I said, it's she's she's discussed in the third person while she is present constantly by both Negan and Jerry. And it's kind of disconcerting. There's very little in the way of sense of agency for her. And it yeah. kind of reminded me of Norris's take on Val. Like, kind a, of. A female body. Yeah, that she is, a, she is a tool that is at our disposal rather than a character. And I hopefully that'll change because it's just such a bizarre character design that I kind of like it, but it's also just like a sexy lady body that we've removed any personality from. Yep, with a like both in terms of the top. writing and just like a literally blank face. It's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. You can probably take the word kind of out of that sentence. It's totally weird. It's weird. Mm -hmm. We also see that when she answers the door for the Defenders, when Steve rings the doorbell, she is in the guise of a weird religious personality. And one of the... Who is it that says that when they get to the door? Is it Kyle, not Kyle? How is Kyle exactly. not Kyle with them? Exactly. Okay. That honestly didn't occur to me until now. I, so, I thought it was kind of cute when he was flying around all well, like, just they, like confused and like, whoa. But how is he doing that? Making the comment, Doc, this is ridiculous. We come expecting Attila the Hun and get Catherine Kuhlman instead. Right? That's not something that Chandu would say. No. Not by a long shot. For one thing, he wouldn't call Doctor Strange Doc. Mm-mm. And we see that Kyle is still trapped in his little bowl, having his weird little, like, yeah, I'll just reminisce about my life in a weird, like, dream logic yeah, it, trip it down memory no, lane. No damn sense. That is very confusing. Did you know who Catherine Kuhlman was? No, I was going to look that up, but I ran out of time. She was a faith healer who had a popular TV show that was, I think, called I Believe in Miracles. And Did it have that song? I believe in miracles. That's called your sexy thing. <laughs> your sexy thing. <laughs> no, that was a different show. That's a shame. It is, kind of. Hot chocolate. 
That is a good song. It is. I mean, a good band, but a good song by yeah. a good band. Yes. But what's really weird about that Catherine Kuhlman reference in this issue is I noticed when I was looking up for the Wong segment that we do later, in February of 1976, Catherine Kuhlman died. Oh. So this issue, it's the February 1976 issue. It actually came out late in 1975. But it is kind of this weird coincidence that in the month that this is the comic book for is when she died. Mm, sinister. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Kyle's flashback story. Okay. I thought it was really well done. It was well executed. I really like the way that Steve Gerber writes Dream Logic. I think it really works, especially the collaboration between him and Sal Buscema on it. I thought was really, really cool. And like telling this narrative, but in a way that makes sense that he is a disoriented and like completely out of it brain sitting in a bowl as he's making his version of sense of the events of his life. I thought it was really, really cool. And I also think it kind of makes sense to view Kyle as a incompetent, not very bright, slacker Batman. Like, that's kind of what his origin reveals. Like, this is probably more like what Batman would be like. Rich, pampered kid who is kind of self-absorbed and just kind of bumbling his way through life and having this thrill-seeking thing mm -hmm. and thinks of himself as a hero, but, like, he's got all these resources at his disposal, but he's just kind of a stumble bum. I think also, though, like, he's fundamentally kind of a bad person because he doesn't go from pampered rich kid to stumbling into herodom. His first choice is to be a criminal. Yeah. For fun. Yeah. That's fair. Like, that's a <laughs> shitty thing to do. Like, you have all the resources at your disposal. Specifically that having all of the resources at his disposal, he decides to steal things for fun. Like, what? A jerk. you don't have enough things, dude? Come on, man. Ugh. Yeah, that is a specifically shitty choice. It is also super shitty that, I mean, he killed his ex-girlfriend in a drunk driving accident and then doesn't really deal with that other than to, like, mope about how it affected him and how he feels about it. Like, what about Mindy's fucking family? Was he sued? We don't get any follow-up on that. It's just like, well, here's a thing that happened to me. Part of my problem with this whole issue is the way that that's written is it's supposed to make him appear sympathetic, I think. Like, oh, he had this really hard... Like, how bad would you feel if you accidentally, you know, caused yeah. somebody's death? But it doesn't come across that way to me. No. I mean, you do feel bad for him when he's a kid. I did anyway. He's kind of a stupid looking kid, though. <laughs> well, his head was really big. Well, I, that's how kids are, man. They got big heads and little bodies. Oh, I haven't been around him for a while. <laughs> I forgot. But... I mean, when he's dropped off at the boarding school right after his mom died and he has a tear in his eye so the other kids beat him up and mm -hmm. call him a crybaby. That, that's, you didn't feel bad for him then? Because he had a big head? Uh, I felt bad that they were mean to him, but then he totally kicks everybody's ass, like, really bad. Yeah. I felt bad for his, like, headmaster at his school. I, don't, I definitely wasn't him? supposed to. <laughs> yeah. I would have wanted to slap him, too. He was 17 years old, and he's getting into, like, a lot of fights and a lot of trouble. And the dude's like, "You, I should fucking expel you. And he goes, yeah, but you won't because my dad paid a bunch of money to this place. I could buy and sell your ass. 
he didn't technically say the last part, mm-hmm. but it was implied, and I bet he said that last part. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the guy slaps him, and then he punches the dude in the face. I, but he doesn't punch the dude in the face for slapping him. The dude slaps him, and then, You don't impress me or frighten me, Richmond. You disgust me. And as for your father's money, it's a pity he wasted it on an incorrigible, ineducable. Hmm. And then... Kyle's like, he shouldn't have said that, and he punches him. He's right. He is. We see in the following panels that he is Both ineducable and incorrigible and kind of a murderer. Boo. Yeah, he's a real shit heel. But as I said, I liked how it was illustrated and I liked how it was written. I, I like the, the dream state type stuff. It showed great creativity as yeah. well, like to go from hawks ripping your clothing off as you fly through a night sky to crossroads of yeah and he seems just disoriented the whole time in in a way and trying to like make sense of his life as he's doing it and does the thing where he's just like oh i'm thinking about my childhood now well then i guess i better start viewing myself as a child but he still puts him in the nighthawk uniform and so it's like this little kid wearing the nighthawk a costume that all this stuff is happening to Mm -hmm. we also see that he's got a governess who I was wondering if maybe the reason that Jerry doesn't want Dr. Gorilla Body to mash up Kyle's brain is because Dr. Melty Face's mom was the governess. Because <laughs> she's got a melty-ass face. She's just supposed to be old. <laughs> well, whatever. Her face looks pretty <laughs> melty to me. Uh, gravity finds us all, my friend. Uh, not me. I'll hide from it. Okay. It'll never catch me. In space? Exactly. Hmm. Anything else about Kyle's flashbacks? We should probably say the yes. name of the flashback segment. The name of the flashback segment, which I love, is My Life and Times, Good and Bad, as told by the brain of Kyle Nighthawk Richmond. Oh, by the brain of Kyle Nighthawk Richmond. Yeah, I love the title. I love the scene on page 15 where he is sliding down a ginormous slide uh-huh. as in a grown-up body. Like, it does have that total dream logic. Yeah, and what he's saying there is, uh, Who could have done this to me? I began searching out memories, some clue as to how I lost my senses. And I found I'd looked back too far, back to my childhood. Since I had nothing better to do and no place else to go, I let the story play on. Yeah, and then we see him, yeah, reacting out his version of his childhood. There's also the scene where he sees his father, he's there and watching his father's plane crash. And he's like, I didn't see that happen live, though. I saw that on TV because there was a diplomat on the plane. But it was like I was there. And we see his brain reconstructing it in that way that he is there. And there's an, another scene that I definitely want to talk about. But I I know for sure that's coming up later in the minutia. Speaking of which, mm. you ready for the minutia? Sure. All right. Rick, would you do us the great honor of singing a minutia song for us? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting first? Let's talk about old clothes. Okay, sartorially speaking, what instances of fashion would you like to focus our attention onto? Despite the many potential problems with lack of agency and all these other things, oh, Ruby. Yeah, she's got a hell of an outfit, huh? What a weird, weird... <laughs> like it that. is a weird outfit, but it's honestly, it reminded me of 
Iron Fist outfit a lot. Yeah. It's got the same like Dracula collar on a low, low V shirt. Mm-hmm. Like both of them show a lot of chest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly more pronounced on Ruby because she's got a sexy lady body. Yep. But yeah, and then it just kind of turns into a one-piece swimsuit. And then like thigh-high boots. Yeah, it is a unique look. It is a unique look, especially when you do put a red bowling ball on top of it mm-hmm. for a head. Yep. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, I used to play with Legos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would use the steering wheel on top of the legs. And like make a little figure that way, who just had a steering wheel for a head. Mm. Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Only you know, a sexier lady version of that. <laughs> yeah, with just, a Dracula collar, just like that. Yeah. Okay. It's like that in so many ways. Mm. What clothes did you see? There were a couple of other outfits that were kind of noteworthy. The headmaster looks like almost a Dickensian character in his little. Uh, it, it's a shitty little suit and bow tie that somehow is drawn in a way that it looks like a cheap suit, mm. which is kind of a nice touch but yeah mostly mostly it was it was ruby you know that's one of the the one thing i remember learning from these podcasts is, is to say dickensian and not dickensonian oh dickensonian's fun that was the way it was in my head for the longest time <laughs> i think it was like on the first or second one of these we did you're like you mean dickensian i was oh. like oh yeah that's how they spell that guy's name <laughs> that makes that makes perfect sense oh i'm glad i could help thank you <laughs> I also liked Jack Norris's outfit in this. He's a jerk, but he's a snappy dresser. He had a orange kind of tight-fitting athletic shirt tucked into some mauve slacks. He looked very 70s in it. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, yeah. Shiny set. bronze boat, belt buckle, maybe? Yeah, that sounds about right. Bronze boat for cool. a belt buckle. Yeah. I mean, he's a dipshit, but good-looking dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do sound effects. What was your favorite sound effect of this issue? Oh, easy. Twap. <laughs> Twap was pretty good. That was also mine. That is the sound of <laughs> Kyle getting the shit smacked out of him by his Dickensian headmaster. Twap. Twap. Yep. Yeah, you're expecting an H in there, but uh, makes it definitely sound like it's maybe a harder slap. It hurt, man. Yeah. It said it hurt. There were also only, I think, three sound effects in this issue. There was that one. There was a choom of Kyle's dad's plane crashing, I believe. Yep. And there was a snap of Jack Norris snapping his fingers. The only other thing that made me pause and maybe not go with twap was the idea that history (laughs) was a sound effect. Because it might have been. Because we're looking at dream logic happening here. And it really looks like a sound effect in the following panel you ready to move on to favorite panels let's okay my favorite panel was from the dream sequence kyle being ineducable and it is great we see this captain kangaroo looking motherfucker Mm. holding out this enormous book and information is just flying out of it and bombarding kyle and he just looks flabbergasted by it as like equations and dates and the very idea of certain types of knowledge are just kind of flying at him. And it is perhaps the only time in the issue when I completely identified with Nighthawk. (laughs) Yeah, college was like that. It's Parts of high school were like that for me too. Mm. It was, I really enjoyed math through geometry. And once it got into pre-calculus, that was what I felt like. I would read the set, like I would read, the words, 
just over and over again. And I'd just be like, I read all of this, but I was just sounding out the words in my mind. I don't know what this means. And I'm trying to absorb this information, but I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And we see that that's what Kyle is going through when he finally decides to start paying attention and realizes that he does not have the basis to absorb this knowledge. And the way that it is drawn, it's really, really cool looking. And yeah, it looks like history, 1776, 33 over 412 are just flying at him. And like they might be sound effects. And I really liked that idea. And I really liked that panel. What was your favorite panel? Those are great. Uh, my favorite one was page three, and it's Hulk not liking the ugly Chandu. face. Chandu's ugly face. He doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah, that is a really good panel. I, I had noticed that as well. And that's where you get the the kind of the close-in on uh, Jack's outfit, too, in the background there. Mm -hmm. And also there's like a brazier on a pole, but you don't see the top of it and it just looks like dr strange has a stripper pole in his <laughs> office oh i had it that i thought it was like the body was surrounded by like almost mystical lightning rods but i think you <laughs> might be right dr strange's dual poles look those flame ghosts are gonna come back here and when they do <laughs> we've got to keep them busy It'll burn the place down otherwise so i've put in some flaming stripper poles <laughs> yeah that is a great panel and chandu looks berserk he's he, got crazy like anti-eyebrows <laughs> just two blank spots where his <laughs> eyebrows should be like groucho marx level eyebrows though there is very and, serious like like yeah the eyebrows that aren't there are enormous eyebrows to not be there mm -hmm. they're like the doctors from dune oh yeah. like mm -hmm. there's yeah. some serious serious uh, shit going on mentat the human computer <laughs> yeah he uh, also, though, is disturbingly reminds me of Dr. Light in that picture. I can see that. Well, he's got that shitty little goatee. Mm. Yeah, that's a heck of a panel. That was on my list of potentials as well, as is the introduction of Ruby on page seven. Oh, I forgot about her dish gloves, too. She's also got... Yep, she's, she's got dish gloves on. Bright red too. dish gloves. Yeah, it's quite a look. It is the weirdest. It's almost like she's like a deviant art version of Tom Servo from... <laughs> From Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet there's some that, really disturbing pictures of that robot on, on the internet. That. I'm sorry, Corey. Mm. I didn't make them, but I bet they're there. That's that's how it works on the internet. Yeah, and uh, th those, are, those are all some really good panels. Really fun artwork in this issue. It was fun. You could tell how much fun Busema was having with this. Mm -hmm. And it, it really shows. Or in this issue, who just had to be a sucker? Who had to behave in a way counter to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? Yep, uh, I struggled, as I often say, with this one. I uh, did too, and, and I think it is getting harder as Gerber is getting a better feel for these characters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because Steve has been very Steve lately. Val has been pretty Val. The Hulk is... I love the Hulk, and he's acting like the Hulk. So, yeah, who did you who did you have? Everybody was true to character in this issue, which is what made it difficult, as you point out. I think the editorial perhaps mishap 
of forgetting that Kyle was in fact Chandu is what I put down. Cause that is absolutely fair because yes, that is just, that doesn't make any sense. Yep. So Chandu was my sucker. He forgot he was Chandu <laughs> and was just subsumed by Kyle and some horrifying, like, like he just osmosis some yep. Kyle. He's, he's he was just, just out like... asshole to buy the asshole that he was, whose body he was trying to inhabit. Yeah. There's the Kurt Vonnegut novel, Mother Night. There is the explicit moral is stated in that be careful what you pretend to be because you may become it. Mm-hmm. I think Chandu is learning that lesson. Hey, yeah, yeah, should have read him some Vonnegut. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a very solid choice. I didn't make it because I just got swept up and I didn't realize it had <laughs> happened. Uh, so I decided to go with Steve because although he acts very much like Steve in almost every regard in this issue... When they show up at the suburban home, he rings the doorbell. And we have seen that when Steve is entering someone's bedroom, he doesn't knock. When Steve is showing up in somebody's St. Louis townhouse unannounced in ghostly form, no forward notice. But when he shows up at the house of people that he knows are his enemies, he rings the doorbell. Mm. I didn't even think Steve knew what a doorbell was. Wong always answers his. Mm Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know how to knock. So that was my choice. I went with Steve. That works. For displaying uncharacteristic etiquette. Mm. What are your favorite words? Ah. Mm. It's a toss-up. Yeah? Yeah. I got some stuff that Hulk said that I liked a lot and some stuff that allegedly Valkyrie said that I liked a lot. Allegedly Valkyrie said? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's hear that. Okay. So, oh, okay. Back when she was Barbara. Mm-hmm. So this is the part where we're both mad at Norris for, for shaking her and being like, ah, remember shit that didn't happen to you. Yeah. And so he says, make yourself. Re- I don't like this part. Make yourself remember. You said his name sounded like a cheap perfume. Chondu. That was it. You said his act had the right fragrance for his name. And I just, I was like, wow, Barbara Norris is pretty funny because Chandu does totally sound like it could be a shitty perfume. Yeah, we also get that, and I think this had come up before, but I had completely forgotten that Chandu's real name is Harvey Schlemmerman. Oh. Yeah, I think that's kind of a fun touch. That's a fun touch. Yeah. Harvey Schlemmerman's a funny name. Yeah, I have difficulty imagining a less mystical sounding name. Than Harvey Schlemmerman? Harvey Schlemmerman. Hmm. Also, the Vermont County Fair seems like a place where, I mean, if you're even a little bit of a real mystic, <laughs> you're probably not there. I don't know, man. What if you if you were like a real mystic who had some like big hits in the 80s <laughs> and now you're just <laughs> on the county fair circuit, you know, it's like uh, Chandu the Mystic, Rick Springfield... <laughs> Pat Benatar, some big acts play at county fairs. So, you know, he's just fallen on some uh, some tougher times. I remember as a kid watching Spinal Tap when they're doing their jazz thing at the fair and just being like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then as a grown-up, I was like, oh. Oh, that's sad. I yeah, get it now. That's not cool. They're opening for a puppet show. Yeah. yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, when's the puppet show going to start? Yeah. I want to see that like part, too. Gig. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are some pretty solid words from, from Barbara. Mm-hmm. As relayed by Jack Norris. My favorite is some captioning that was done in the dream sequence. It's on page 27 at the end of Kyle's story where he ends up back where he was at the crossroads. Mm. This mystical crossroads area. And he goes, my life and times, 28 years. And where has it gotten me? You want the truth? 
I'm still that nine-year-old kid who was left at West Haven. More alone than ever right now, in fact. I'm back at the crossroads. I'm still a troublemaker, still hot-tempered, still looking for someone to be my father, still alone, the same crossroads I've stood paralyzed at all my life, and I still can't remember how I got here. I thought that was kind of nice. Damn. Just waiting for Steve Vai to show up with his electric guitar and <laughs> yep. challenge you to a blues showdown. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that's my kind of crossroads. Yeah, but I gotta tell you, man, that uh, Kyle Richmond is no Ralph Macchio. Mm-mm. Nope. That movie was called Crossroads, right? Yep. I think he's more of a Britney Spears going on a cross-country trip with her pal. Was that uh, Rosario Dawson? Gosh, I don't know, but we did actually watch that, and I was very confused because I had in my head... That, that we were watching the other Crossroads. Yeah, I like the other one better. Yeah, it was a much better movie, <laughs> although I did enjoy we watched it. It was a weird form of, like, DVD commentary they had on it, where it was just Britney Spears interjecting at random intervals, like, oh, fun facts right. about the movie. She was super nervous to kiss the guy because she had eaten a tuna sandwich. Yep. And there was also <laughs> uh, that this scene was really difficult for me because I had to cry, but I wasn't feeling sad that day. And then the director explained that my character probably would have been sad. It was like this overview of like, so in this movie, she was introduced, not necessarily in acting tips, but introduced to the very concept of what acting is. Yeah. Yeah. So, good to know. Yep. And she was also a teenager at the time, I think. Well, I mean, she was not a girl, but not yet a woman. So, so you know, I'm cutting her some slack there. All right, listener. So, if you have to choose, my recommendation... If you find yourself at a crossroads... About which crossroads to watch, <laughs> go with the Ralph Macchio one. Yeah, yeah. But if you do watch the Britney Spears one, watch it with the DVD commentary. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, you learn how to make uh, fun uh, t-shirts. The fringe, kind of, the fringe ones. Yeah, you find out how to make fringe for t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yep. you know. It's a good look. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, in this issue, who was the best defender and who was the worst offender? Let's start with worst offender. Oh, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> oh, zing. Fucking Kyle. Of course. Well, I can see why you would make that decision. Although, for the events of this issue, Kyle is just a brain in a bowl, so he's not really doing a ton. Oh, that's a tricky, that's a tricky factor. I mean, he is, we find out things about Kyle that make us like him less. So, I mean, I'm not disputing your choice. I'm just explaining partly why I didn't choose him. So, okay, just for future reference, this has to be events in the issue that are taking place not events in the issue that are described, but having taken place either in the future or the past. It has to be in the present. Oh, shit. I don't know, man. You're making it complicated. That's what I do. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I, I think it's a solid choice. On the other hand, I was elated to finally get to make this choice. Steve asked Jack Norris to help him, which means that Jack Norris is a defender. Which means that my choice for worst offender is 100% Jack fucking Norris. Fuck that guy. That is fair. Yeah, I don't need to discuss why Jack Norris is the worst. Jack Norris is intrinsically the worst. Fair enough. He's fucking terrible. I hate that guy. I know. Conversely, who was the best defender? Mm. Well, 
despite some questionable decisions, mostly asking Norris to help. Doctor Strange would uh, put his thinking cap on and realize that, okay, if it's not an exorcism, obviously, it's a brain switch. Yeah, I mean, it stands to reason. So let's just go to the guy's house where that other brain is and get it back. Like, that is some top drawer problem solving. <laughs> it is a fun mashup of pragmatism and ridiculousness. And that's Doctor Strange. It kind of is. And I mean, you do get the fact that he is both a Sorcerer Supreme and a former surgeon. Mm -hmm. So it, it is I really, this problem is right up in his wheelhouse. Yep. Because a sorcerer's brain has been surgically transferred into a asshole's body. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he I, figures it out and he, he takes action and leads the team there and kudos. He does, but he also picks a very inopportune time to learn how to knock on a goddamn door. So that's why I didn't go with Steve. And I went with Val for cautioning Steve, hey, do you want to ring that doorbell? Because... Seems like maybe we should surprise these people. Mm. You know, like, you're always surprising me when you show up in my bedroom behind me when I'm getting dressed. Yep. Really? We're going to start doing this now? And, yeah, so I, I went with Val uh, because she's like, Steve, are, are you sure we should ring this doorbell? And Steve's like, yes, of course I'm going to ring the doorbell. Ding dong. Oops, gamma bomb explodes in our face and then reassembles itself into a lady's head. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, reverse gamma. Yeah, reversed anti-gamma anti radiation. Yeah, that's even it's probably stronger. Alpha? Probably. Radiation? Or beta radiation? What's the opposite of G? What is the opposite of G? Gosh, nobody knows for sure. Delta? Backwards G. Oh. But if you, like, flip a G upside down, it turns into a D. Lower oh, lowercase yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, lowercase. Got it, got it, okay. Yeah, so... So, D. Yeah, so delta radiation. There we go. Okay. okay. See? Yeah. You're good at science. We worked this out. Yeah, you're right. I am good at science. Yeah. Cut yourself some slack, man. Okay, I'll do my best. All right. Thanks. Well, Corey, we all know that the Hulk rules. But in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? Oh, man. The Hulk's rules in this one were good. Yeah? For me, it was about trusting your gut. Hmm. So... When somebody looks at you with a hate-filled, ugly face, yeah, it is just okay to be like, I don't like your ugly face. <laughs> okay. Hate makes faces ugly. Yeah. And it's okay not to like them. That was Hulk's rules in this issue. I think that's a, that's a solid Hulk rule. The Hulk rule that I came up with was when the defenders show up at that seemingly innocuous suburban home, the Hulk says... Hulk thinks Hulk has been here before, because he has. Mm. He smashed the house next door because the little That's girl's right. dad was mad at him. That's right. And Steve is immediately dismissive. He just says, unlikely Hulk, but as for the first question, and just like moves along. And the Hulk's rule is, trust your friend's experiences over your own assumptions. Mm. Because if Steve had done that, then things would be a lot nicer. And the Hulk knows how frustrating it is when... You're like, oh, actually, I've dealt with this situation. Here's what happened. And somebody else says, that doesn't seem like it's probably what would have happened. It's like, but it's what happened. I was there. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty common. 
And it's as frustrating for the Hulk as it is for me. So the Hulk's rule is learn to trust your friend's experiences over your own assumptions. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's complicated. The Hulk is a complicated man. And no one understands him but his woman, John Shaft. <laughs> In that song, doesn't it sound like John Shaft's woman is named John Shaft? Yep. Yeah. Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> Thanks, the Hulk. Well, Corey, I'm left with but one final question for you. Yes? In the year of our Lord, 1976, and the month of our Lord, February, how was Wong wrongly accused? Ah, I'm glad you asked. Oh, good. Not sure I can answer. Okay. (laughs) But I will tell you what I think he was up to at that point. Well, that sounds good enough. I think I'll do the same. Okay, fair enough. What are you wrongly accusing Wong of his activities being? Well, as we know, his job can be at times demanding. Mm-hmm. And he often finds solace in both music and cinema. Uh-huh. So he does both in February of 1976. Like you and I, he may sometimes sneak snacks into the movie theater that he's he's not supposed to. And I maybe used to do that. I, I, I don't. Since I since you since run, I run a movie theater now, <laughs> so nobody's wrongly accusing you of doing something that somebody in your position should not do. Mm-hmm. But Good thing, but he's got he's he's got an excuse. Oh, what's his excuse? His excuse is there was a really popular song on the radio at that time, number nine on the charts. A little ditty called "Junk Food Junkie." Oh, is popularized by the Doctor Demento show. Yes, yes, by Larry Gross. I think that's how you say the guy's last name. It's a, it's a funny little song. It's a, a guy talking about eating healthy macrobiotics. Got a strong box in his room with some Twinkies in it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Oh, Lord have mercy on me. Yep. I remember that yep. song. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I remember recording it off of the Dr. Demento show. That was a good show. Yeah. Or, well, I enjoyed it. There we go. <laughs> Anyhow, so Wong's got some Twinkies and some other junk food. And uh, and he goes to see the premiere of Taxi Driver. Oh, he doesn't that's a leave, fun little movie. Doesn't leave feeling great. Goes back to work. Just like, hmm, I'll choose differently next time. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. But that's what that's what uh, Wong was up to. Perhaps not Wongly accused, but if he were caught, he would have been rightly accused of sneaking those Twinkies into the theater, which he certainly should not have done. Same old Wong and dance. Oh. <laughs> well, Wong was having a bit of a complicated time in February of 1976. Mm. You see... As we discussed a few issues ago, Wong had been involved in a bit of a time travel kerfuffle. Right. As uh, outlined when we covered the Giant Size Defenders number two. And he had gotten mixed up with Marty McFly and his nonsense. And that had caused a ripple in the timeline that needed repair. Mm. So, one of the things that Wong was up to was future Wong came back to our time to warn Wong that he had to help out with a certain situation. Wong had to come back in time because a child that is born in the early part of 2003 is going to grow up and develop a pill that is a cure for being an asshole. Mm. And this is radical, and it's going to really change the course of human history. And in order for that child to be born in 2003, a different child needed to be born in February 
1976. One who would, in 2000, in the summer of 2002, write a dope summer jam that would lead to the conception of this miracle child. <laughs> so, Wong had to rush over and facilitate with the birth of Cameron. <laughs> so that he could be born and one day grow up to write the song Hey Ma mm. so that we could develop a future cure for being an asshole. Oh, Godspeed. Yeah, man. Thanks, Cameron. I really do like that song. When is your song-inspired child gonna come out with this pill? Because I think we need it now more than ever. We do, we do. But unfortunately, I mean, that, that person and I have to protect their anonymity right now or I would be tampering with our own future. Um, I mean, they're, they're only 15 right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can't expect them to come up with it soon. Hopefully, in the next 10 or 15 years. I mean, they are a prodigy, probably, but still, like, you know. Get to it, a get to it mystery like prodigy. You gotta let them grow, have their own adventures, Corey. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, choose your own adventure, prodigy. Yeah. Hey, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, thanks, Cameron. And thanks, Wong, for making Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> that got very complicated. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Well, it's, it's when you mess with the timeline. Exactly, exactly. Consequences could be dire. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us, <laughs> listeners. Yes, thank you. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. You could leave us a review on whatever iTunes it's calling itself these days. I do not like their new interface. It is bad, I think, but you can still use it to leave us a review. A five-star review. I'm afraid the other kinds just don't seem to work. It, it's a shame. Mm. Don't even bother trying because you'd just be wasting your time. And I think it also would be how uh, Apple can track your brain. One it's, a star, it's a privacy Anything issue. less than a five-star review, then, uh, then Apple is... It's, you agreed to it when you clicked, I agree. Mm -hmm. um, they can come into your house and um, steal your dog. That's terrible. I know. I know. So I'm just saying you should probably leave a five-star review. I think GDPR would protect us from all of that. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Oh, and uh, Lisa is running an Instagram for us now, so you can uh, you can do that, too. There's pictures. Yeah. Mostly pictures of comics, but occasionally pictures of, of these people. That's us. Oh, dear. Sorry. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. Twap! Ow! <laughs> and they knew it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. do i understand you said something about robots and spaceships and shark overlords and it all sounded pretty convincing i guess you're right i'm a pretty great scientist cheers yeah it's not gonna make a it's satisfying gonna noise. Make a beer oh. beer can on mug <laughs> that's a, nobody that's wants a, to no. see that it's like a sickening soft crunch <laughs> like i shook hands like a wet winnie the pooh <laughs> I tried to... <laughs>